0: This time, let us uh, turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll read uh, the first 14 verses, but we're going to give special attention to verses uh, 7 through 14. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But, fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are continuing to consider this astonishing calling that we're given in the first... uh, verse of this chapter. Be imitators of God. And, uh, we're in the second of three messages that kind of flesh that out in connection with this passage. We've already heard that to be imitators of God is to walk in love. Mm -hmm. God is love. And we are to walk in love that is known as we know God. That's from 1st John chapter 4, that statement God is love but it's also in first John the the first chapter that we read God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. In fact it goes on there to say if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness we lie and do not practice the truth but if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all sin. God is light. We are to walk in the light. Light in scripture is associated with holiness, with purity, with separation uh, from, from darkness, from moral darkness, the moral darkness of impurity or ignorance and evil, the kinds of things that characterize this lost world, the kinds of things that characterize us all by nature without Christ. And we must no longer take part in that kind of darkness. Verse 7, do not be partakers with them. Do not share in the lifestyle that is described there. But rather, and in our text we hear, walk, that is live, as children of light. That's our theme from this passage. Walk as children of light. And that means that we are to walk, to live as those who have undergone a great change. There is a, an absolute contrast between light and darkness. Darkness and light are extreme opposites. And morally, uh, it's obvious that our, our world likes to blur that contrast or to deny it altogether. It wants to, uh, uh minimize Or erase the difference between good and evil, between truth and lies, between right and wrong. And so often the truth is, uh, treated as if it, uh, were no real, really no different than the lie. Our world even likes to defend often what is sordid and false. In fact, many people think that uh to make any kind of moral judgments and to assume that there are any kind of moral absolutes, well, that just shows how ignorant you are. There are no moral absolutes. All truth is relative, so they say, with great confidence. And the only moral absolute they have is that if you disagree with them and you want to maintain that there are absolutes, that there is truth, well, then they will absolutely tell you that you're narrow-minded and bigoted and wrong. That's the kind of world that we live in increasingly. The difference between light and darkness is obscured. Right and wrong, well, they're blended. But the knowledge of God clarifies and sharpens these opposites. God himself is absolutely pure and holy. His works, what he does, who he is, and his eternal character. All his ways are without flaw. This is the message that we have heard from him, and that's a reference to Jesus Christ. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And that's revealed by Jesus Christ, by him personally, who himself is the righteous one, and it's revealed by his declarations, by his manifestation of the Father. It's interesting, isn't it, that John sums up Jesus' message this way. This is the message that we heard from him. God is light. And when that message breaks through to us in grace, it gives clarity. And it gives conviction about ourselves. It gives clarity and conviction about our own sinfulness. And when that message breaks through in grace, it gives clarity about the way of forgiveness. The way of righteousness and acceptance with God this is what conversion is. It's often described that way. In fact, the whole mission of uh, Christ in the New Testament is to proclaim light to the na- to the nations and salvation to all people. That was the commission that was given to the apostle Paul, and it's described explicitly in Acts chapter. 26, where the Lord Jesus appeared to him and revealed this calling that he was given to go to the nations, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Describes a drastic transformation, the kind of transformation that we that we hear in our text this morning. You were once darkness. It doesn't even say you once were in the dark. It doesn't say that uh, you once were limited by darkness or had some darkness in your thinking. But you were darkness. That's what characterized you. In the previous chapter, we we are given this description of of our former lives without Christ. And it says, having understanding darkened. People that walk in the futility of their mind. Having their understanding darkened. Being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Because of the blindness of their heart. It's not simply a matter of the intellect. It's the blindness of heart. That leads us by nature to live feudal lives, because that's the way our minds direct us. Our minds are darkened. It's not simply that you sat in the dark, but the dark was in you. The darkness was you. In uh, Exodus, in the account of the plagues, one of those plagues involved God striking the land of Egypt with darkness. And uh, Exodus 10 describes that darkness as so thick that it could be felt. And the result of it was that everyone stayed in their place. They couldn't see each other. No one moved. They were, they were completely paralyzed by darkness. And I think that's a powerful illustration of the darkness of our minds and hearts apart from grace. Oh, we move. We're active. But we don't make one movement towards God. There is no movement of true spiritual life unless the light enters with power and clarity. We come to know God. And the light shines in our hearts. That's what happened to these Ephesians. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Again, these are absolute contrasts that are described here. It doesn't simply say that uh, you are now in the light. Rather, the light is in them. Or they not only possess light, but light defines them in Christ. They're children of light. In other words, they are to walk as those who have undergone a great change by grace. They've come to know God. They've come to know the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that connection further, we're, we're to walk in ways that please the Lord. I said before that the Christian life is becoming more and more what we are. And that's, again, The language of this passage, you are light in the Lord, so walk as children of light. That's who you are, then show it in the way you live. We are a new creation in Christ. But God's work is far from being done in our lives. And even as we emphasize the extreme contrast between light and darkness, we realize, and our text implies, that there are still dark spots in our lives there are still dark spots in our conduct and in our thinking and our character. Light is truth. But that doesn't mean that we're now free altogether from ignorance and from its effects. But rather, this light must shine through our whole lives. In verse 9, it says, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Some renderings have the... uh, the fruit of the light that's a, a textual variant really amounts to the same thing, and that is that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, leaves no areas untouched. it doesn't leave any dark corners of our lives alone, any dark corners or features of our hearts or minds or our our practices. Because the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. It has this permeating influence upon our lives. Increasingly, so that times occur when we discover that things that we've been doing actually are not right and good. And we continue to grow. And the effects of of, uh, spiritual renewal then are extensive, and they're beautiful. Even the language of fruit suggests that. It's a life of growing practical knowledge. Finding out, verse 10, 10, uh, says, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. It's not discovered all at once. It's discovered often gradually. And it's discovered also in, in the, in the course of our conduct and practice. Romans chapter 12 is, is similar to that where It says, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. By the transformation of your mind put into practice, you discover experientially what is pleasing to God. And that's a process. It occurred to me that both of the texts that you, that you selected involve that, that recognition, huh? In fact, both of them even use this language of waiting upon the Lord. I waited upon the Lord. I wait upon the Lord all the day. That's an attitude of, of dependence and faith and expectation. Confidence that God, God is good. God is working. And you continue to expect that from Him. And you expect that God will teach you. Show me your paths. Teach me your ways. Now this was the psalmist. A prophet who meditated in the word of God who was mature in his understanding and he's still saying, Lord, teach me. Show me your paths. I wait on you all the day. We wait on the Lord in order to be taught by him and to show that then in the way we live so that it might even be recognized and seen by others. That our our lives might glorify him. The The light that is within us must also shine out. And that leads us thirdly to consider that we are to walk, as our text teaches us, in stark contrast to the to the works of darkness. Again we have this description uh, there in verses uh, eleven and following have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Now uh, shameful things are increasingly spoken and practiced publicly. Unfruitful works of darkness. That's the language. You know, there is the fruit of the spirit or the fruit of the light and then unfruitful works of darkness. Now that doesn't mean that there are no effects of uh, immorality and spiritual blindness. There are. But those effects are hardly... Uh, fruitful. They don't result in any kind of human flourishing in one's personal life, in society. Rather, what you see is unfruitfulness, sometimes very literally, literally, by the mutilation of bodies or by the rejection of God's intention for marriage. Or you see breakdown. You see breakdown in relationships. You see breakdown in health. You see breakdown And any kind of positive outlook and a sense of purpose and goodness to life. And we see that breakdown increasingly among young people and children. The incidence of depression among children. The rate of suicide among teenagers just keeps escalating. Why? This is the bitter and bad results of a life lived in darkness. Darkness. And brothers and sisters, this is precisely where our lives must shine. In a way, you might say that the worse that things get, the higher and the holier our calling is, which Lord Jesus Christ gave to us. He says, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The lives of Christians expose the world's darkness. And that's not only by, by uh, what we say occasionally or by what we do occasionally, but it's by who we are as the light of the world. You are light, and light exposes darkness. Only walk as children of light. Live according to who you are in Christ. Don't put the light under a bushel, to use the analogy of our Lord Jesus. The light exposes Darkness. And the effects of that exposure, they differ, right? They're varied, and our text really doesn't doesn't flesh them out. You know, we can find from other passages of Scripture the result of it. Often the light provokes opposition. That's why Jesus himself said in John chapter 7, that's why the world hates me, because I testify of it, that its works are evil. The light shined in the darkness. The darkness didn't comprehend it. Rather, the light was resisted and refused. It exposes darkness. The light also serves to restrain sin in society because often the light shines through to people's consciences. Even if it doesn't change their lives, it might mitigate evil practices because Christians are salt as well as light and salt preserves. So that's another result. And positively, it may lead to those opportunities to give an answer to those who ask about the reason for the hope that you have. And then we can give testimony to the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ and our certain hope in him. In any case, we know that God is glorified as the light of Christ shines in us or by us. That's a high calling, isn't it? To walk as children of light. Finally, we consider that we are to walk in the light that Christ gives. That's the emphasis that we need to hear in verse 14, where it says, Therefore, he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Now, it's presented as a quotation of scripture, and there's no one particular verse of the Old Testament that is exactly worded in this way. Perhaps one of the closest um references would be uh to Isaiah chapter chapter uh, 26 where it says in verse 19 your dead shall live together with my dead body they shall arise awake and sing you who dwell in the dust for your dew is like the dew of herbs and the earth shall cast out the dead now that's clearly a prophecy of resurrection through the Lord Jesus Christ, first of all. But spiritual resurrection. And that's indeed what we ought to hear in verse 14. It's, a, it's a, a word of resurrection because the light of Christ is the light of life. It's the light of spiritual awakening and resurrection. And it's a light that will never be put out, but it points to that eternal day. The light of the righteous is like... The dawning light that shines more and more until the eternal day. So this is a declaration of the power of Christ. Resurrection power. You who were dead in trespasses and sins, he made alive. And here in this context, it reminds these Ephesian believers of the mighty grace of Christ that has come to them. He is the light and he gives light. Think of that familiar hymn, I heard the voice of Jesus say, I am this dark world's light. Look unto me, your morn shall rise and all your days be bright. I looked at Jesus and I found in him my star, my sun. And in that light of life I'll walk till traveling days are done. Even that expression, the light of life, is a beautiful phrase, isn't it? In God's providence, I happened in my daily reading to uh, read a passage from Job that actually uses similar language. And it's a passage that describes the consequences of sin, even the sense of God's judgment. People are described as on their way to the pit, facing condemnation. But then a messenger, one of a thousand, comes and declares to them the way of righteousness and declares to them, a ransom that delivers people from the pit. And then there's a beautiful description of the results of that in the lives of those who receive this message. It says, then he looks and says, I have sinned and perverted what was right, and it did not profit me. Unfruitful works of darkness. He will redeem his soul from going down to the pit, and his life shall see the light. Behold, God works all these things, twice, in fact, three times with a man, to bring back his soul from the pit, that he may be enlightened with the light of life. So as a reminder of the mighty grace that has entered the lives of the saints, this declaration also in verse 14 certainly is a summons. It's a summons to all to believe in him. And it doesn't matter if people... uh Don't know whether they're spiritually dead or spiritually asleep. The message is the same. Arise from the dead. Arise from the dead at the voice of the living Christ, the living word, and he will give you light. Amen.